Well, good morning, Hallows Church. Um, who's enjoying the warm weather that we've uh, been having? Yeah, amen. Or who's maybe more like me, and honestly, it's just a little too hot, <laughs> if, I, if, if I'm honest. Um, you guys may not know me. My name's Calvin McCutcheon. Our family's been coming to the Hallows uh, since the Edmonds expression began. Uh, the Hallows has been a really special community for us. When we first started attending, my wife, Hannah, and I were just dating. Um, along the way, we've been married, and in 2020, I had the incredible, um, amazing privilege of baptizing my wife here with the Hallows for the first time in her adult life. Uh, just this last year, we welcomed our, our first child, our son Clark, into the world, and, and just earlier this spring, we dedicated him here at the Hallows. Uh, so we're, we're deeply grateful um, that God has provided us with this amazing church community, and it's really an honor to open and study the word with you today. Uh, would you all turn in your Bibles to Psalm 27? We'll be looking at verses 1 through 6 today, and you can follow along on the screen as I read through our scripture passage. Psalm 27, 1 through 6. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom should I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? When evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, my foes and my enemies stumbled and fell. Though an army deploys against me, my heart will not be afraid. Though a war breaks out against me, I will still be confident. I have asked one thing from the Lord. It is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. He will hide me under the cover of his tent. He will set me high on a rock. Then my head will be high above my enemies around me. I will offer sacrifices in his tent with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. Would you bow your heads in prayer with me this morning? Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to just open your word this morning. We ask that your spirit would be present with us in this place. We thank you for the long-awaited sun and warmth outside. God, as the light shines through these windows, would your word shine into our hearts and reveal the work you want to do in us today? Would you make us receptive to your word and would you open our ears to learn from your servant David? Would you rightly be glorified and honored this morning? And would this message ultimately point us back to Jesus? It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Did anyone else grow up building forts? I grew up with two younger brothers. One of them is here with us today. We were always building forts, whether it was inside the house or outside in the, in the yard. You know how it goes. You strategically reposition the living room furniture, you relieve your pillows and their bedding from their normal post. You raid the linen closet. You recruit the lampshade and the dining room chairs for additional support. Um, and you gather a healthy ration of fruit snacks and Pop-Tarts to get you through the night. You've prepared your stronghold for a night of fun and comfort and to keep out monsters and parents alike who could bring it all to ruin. You feel invincible as you hunker down in your stronghold, but we all know what happens. You stay up too late because you're amped up on the Pop-Tarts. You sleep poorly because at some point the lampshade failed in its mission to support the sheets. And if you're honest, when you finally tried to get to sleep, you're a little afraid. 
the stronghold was not as comfortable or impenetrable as you thought. You come home from school the next day and your stronghold is gone, moved by forces beyond your control, or maybe just your parents. You're distraught. Nothing gave you more pride and joy than that stronghold in your living room. That evening, you're ordered to bed, uh, to put your bed back together. You do so begrudgingly and finally crawl into bed. Despite your bad attitude, your parents come to tuck you in. They pray over you. They squeeze you tight. They tell you that they love you. Their presence changes everything. As they leave your room, you feel a deep sense of peace. The security that knowing you are their child and that they are near to protect you. You fall asleep with ease. I guess they knew your bed was the best stronghold of all. Today I want to examine the idea of a stronghold through a Psalm of David. We will do so under three major headings. First, the strongholds that we build. Second, the wilderness that we wander. And third and finally, the Savior who shelters. First, the strongholds that we build. The word stronghold is actually used in the Old Testament over 50 times and once in the New Testament. The Hebrew words most translated to stronghold are mizgab, which means a secure height, a lofty place, or a retreat, and maoz, which means a place or means of safety and protection. There are three different ways we see strongholds referenced in the Bible. The first is that strongholds are physical. In 1 Samuel, we see strongholds in the military context as David is on the run from King Saul, hiding in the safety and protection of the strongholds of the hill country. In 2 Samuel, the city of Jerusalem is described as a stronghold, a relatively high place resting on a mountain ridge 2,500 feet above sea level. Jesus would also be later described in Matthew 20 as, quote, going up to Jerusalem from Nazareth, which was partly a comment on its geographic attributes. In our modern context, we build our own physical strongholds. They are our countries, our borders, our states, cities, institutions, and homes. They are the barriers we put up to define, to set apart, protect, and defend. But a stronghold is also a name for God. We see in Psalm 27, verse 1, God is described as a stronghold when David expresses that the Lord is the stronghold of my life. Whom should I dread? Again, we see him in Psalm 18:2, saying, the Lord is my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my rock, where I seek refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. One of God's names is literally a high place of safety and protection for his people. And finally, we see that strongholds are spiritual. Strongholds are referred to by Paul as arguments, pride, or ways of thinking and living that become barriers from God. Follow along with me and uh, or listen to 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 through 6, where he says, For although we live in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh, since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful through God for the demolition of strongholds. We demolish arguments and every proud thing that is raised up against the knowledge of God, and we take every thought captive to obey Christ, and we are ready to punish any disobedience once your obedience is complete. 
To Paul, strongholds were ways of thinking and behavior exhibited in the life of those who resisted Paul's ministry and the word of God. Our spiritual weapons of prayer, the word, faith, and the Holy Spirit are to empower us to tear down these spiritual strongholds. We've established now that strongholds are physical, they're spiritual, and that they're also one of God's names. But why do we build these spiritual strongholds? And if we just learn that God is a stronghold, why are we so prone to building strongholds apart from him? Let's look back at verse 1 for the answer. David mentions that the Lord is, quote, his light, and quote, salvation. With his, face, with his faith placed squarely in God, he exclaims, who should I fear? We build strongholds for our own salvation to protect us from threats and anxiety. This fear so easily undermines our trust in God, causing us to take matters into our own hands. Whether of identity, pride, or secular ways of thinking and living, the strongholds we build make it difficult for the exposing light of the gospel to get through. This is an idea that dates back to humanity's original sin in the garden. Lacking trust in God, we take on his role for our own. We are certain we know how to build an ordered, structured, and controlled environment that will bring us the peace, comfort, and safety we all long for. Today, there are two main types of strongholds that we build for our salvation. First, the stronghold of society, and also the stronghold of self. First, the stronghold of society. It is not just us as individuals who engage in stronghold building, but society as a whole. Really, this is the whole aim of our world, is it not? To bring structure, peace, comfort, prosperity, and harmony out of the chaos? To me, it sounds a little bit like Genesis 1, doesn't it? Where the Spirit of God hovered over the formless void of earth and the expanse of water, eventually bringing structure, order, identity, and declaring it all good. A recent book that I read by Mark Sayers entitled A Non-Anxious Presence really opened my eyes to this. Mark Sayers is a pastor at Red Church in Melbourne, Australia. He's dedicated much of his life to studying the intersection between Christianity and culture in the Western world. In our attempts to insulate us from the external threats and reduce our anxiety, he argues that the greatest stronghold humanity has ever created is a term he describes as the American century. To take you back in history, as the world was reeling in the aftermath of World War II, the Council on Foreign Relations, a highly influential American think tank that was established in the 20s, got together to figure out how they would transform the wilderness gray zone moment that they found themselves in. Historian Stephen Wartime suggests that the, or summarizes the council's conclusion as this, quote, the superior coercive power of the United States is required to underwrite a decent world order to prevent the international realm from descending into chaos. Put simply, their plan was to create what they termed as the grand area, a vast economic, cultural, and political stronghold which would maintain order and keep out chaos with the United States as its central hub. To convince the rest of the world of US dominance, they would relabel the term grand area into a much more marketable label that you've probably heard of, the free world. The free, this free world vision launched the American century leading to our modern world today. 
Our modern world argues that through individualism, liberal democracy, scientific rationalism, efficient large-scale economic networks, and agnostic skepticism, humanity has the power in and of itself to begin the world again. What the secular world does not realize is that this act of world-making, of turning a wilderness back into an Eden, it's a deeply spiritual activity. It is the creation, in fact, of an alternate gospel, the creation of a stronghold apart from God. This alternate gospel can inform the way we think and act on an individual level, leading us to the second key stronghold, the stronghold of self. The modern free world that resulted in this American century can lull us into a state that Mark Sayers described as secular autopilot. It's a state where we can move through our lives without thought or need of God, since the modern world will deliver anything we could ever want or need. As our stronghold of self is fortified, blocking out the light of the gospel, pride begins to form inside. Our trust in God wanes as we enjoy the fruit and safety and protection we have seemingly been able to create for ourselves. We're actually warned of this exact idea in Psalm chapter 52, verse 7, which says, Here is the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches, taking refuge in his destructive behavior. Our stronghold of self, fueled by pride, and then confirmed by the broader society, becomes an earthly alternative to dwelling in the presence of God. It becomes far deeper than just a form of protection. It informs our very identity and purpose. So church, we've now established what David knew, that we build strongholds for our own salvation to keep us safe from threats and anxiety. We've examined two overarching strongholds in our world, the stronghold of society and the stronghold of self. But what happens when the strongholds fail? What happens that the thing that was supposed to absorb our anxiety breaks down and becomes the very source of that anxiety? With no refuge or protection, we are thrust into the uncertainty and chaos of the wilderness. This brings us to our second major heading today, the wilderness that we wander. Look back at verses 2 and 3 of Psalm 27. For David, it was not a question of whether his stronghold would come under attack, but when. He says, quote, when evildoers came against me to devour my flesh, though an army deploys against me, though a war breaks out against me. Church, our strongholds will come under attack. Our strongholds will fail under the pressure to provide us a life of comfort and ease. One could argue that today, our secular strongholds of society and self are under attack more than ever due to forces beyond our control. The once dominant cultural, economic, and political stronghold we just discussed, known as the American century, is leaking power as the twin forces of globalization and the internet drive an unperiod, or unprecedented period of decentralization. The narrative is shifting from an American-led globalization to an increasingly global globalization. Mass migration, tourism, trade, global pop culture have all accelerated, creating a more connected world. Air travel and supply chains have made our world a much smaller place. 
The internet then has heightened this connectivity, increasing our awareness of things happening across the world. In fact, the internet itself has created an entirely new world altogether known as cyberspace. It's given smaller players the influence that was previously only reserved for traditional institutions and experts. Think about a few examples. The travel vlogger on Instagram now informs your next vacation. Not a travel agency, not Rick Steves' latest book. YouTube videos and Facebook groups enact more influence over voters than the politician. Match.com finds you a partner. Your mother no longer, no longer sets you up. Although I may admit I'm, I'm the exception to this. Thanks, Mom. Uh, the cryptocurrency expert on Reddit dictates how more savings accounts are invested than the financial advisor. The podcaster on Spotify gets more listens than the pastor on Sunday. This decentralization is rapidly pulling power away from traditional hubs of influence like states, institutions, and churches. And it's sending it out into the network. The fundamental structure of our world is no longer central institutions, but networks and competing spheres of influence. For many, including Christians, the digital network is becoming the primary shaper of our theological, political, and cultural worldview. As the stronghold of institutions has lost their power and ability to offer us lives of structure and comfort, the stronghold of self then steps in to demand greater autonomy. In exchange for this autonomy, however, it is now responsible for managing its own anxiety. The stronghold of self believes that while the world may change, our ability to create a world of comfort and pursue our personal desires, plans, and patterns will not be affected. If this is true, then our anxiety seems to remain at bay. But church, we all know this is not true. COVID-19 took advantage of the same global connected system that was supposed to make our individual lives smoother and easier. With the stronghold of society already framed, the stronghold of self was then shattered as we were confronted with a harsh reality that we can hardly control our own circumstances. We are not as autonomous as the American century had led us to believe. The anxiety, once held at bay by our strongholds, then broke through and eventually spread through the network of humanity going viral. Anxiety, while often experienced individually, has become systemic. Do you feel it, church? Do you feel it in the news cycle, your conversations, your workplace, your relationships? Do you feel it in your soul? Several years ago, I experienced a panic attack for the first time in my life. Due to fears around what I thought were health complications, I found myself at work one afternoon unable to draw my next breath. In that sinking moment, anxious adrenaline shot through my body. Was something serious happening? Called my wife told her what, to tell her what had happened and told her I was coming home. I got home and sunk into the couch, sobbing as she consoled me. What, what had happened? This was not like me. I had always prided myself on having a sound mind. Anxiety had never disrupted me like this. Now I was having trouble sleeping. As a result, I was strung out at work and would take naps in the lobby of our office building. I was terrified to speak in or be around large groups. In fact, it's no small miracle that I'm even able to stand here today and speak to you. 
Fortunately, in the following several years, I was able to find some relief through a naturopathic doctor, narrowly avoiding the recommendation from another doctor to try Xanax. It'd be fine, he said, just use a little if you have a hard time going to sleep. By God's grace, it didn't come to that. As things got better, however, an undercurrent remained and would reveal itself in certain moments. My responsibilities in life increased. My wife and I struggled with infertility and our entire world was thrust into a global pandemic. I began to realize that anxiety was not just my personal struggle, but it seemed to have infected the mood of our broader society and had no signs of slowing down. I now knew that my strongholds could break, but it seemed like the strongholds of our society set up to provide structure, ease, and comfort were failing. Anxiety had become systemic. Friends, I don't think COVID-19 was a bump in the road. I don't think we'll ever return to normal. Instead, I think COVID-19 was simply a very large signpost indicating that one era had been ending and another is beginning. Today, we find ourselves in the wilderness, this in-between moment, a gray zone of uncertainty between two eras. In this anxiety, many will try to conquer the wilderness under their own strength, building strongholds of logic and efficiency in a complex and nonlinear world that no longer operates by the old rules. Others will deny the limitations of their own freedom altogether, instead pushing to expand their freedom through fantasy whether through putting together the perfect Instagram feed or through the emerging virtual realities of the metaverse, fantasy worlds promise a protection from reality. After all, church, it's reality that makes, makes us anxious, isn't it? Because we cannot bend reality to our will. We must recognize our, our attempts to build strongholds or find greater freedom in the wilderness will fail time and again. Any human project that attempts to resolve our systemic anxiety will only add to it. Why? Because our anxiety is ultimately rooted in a disconnection from the presence of God. Admitting this is the first step in breaking the cycle of the human condition. It is our first steps outside the walls of our strongholds. Once outside, the wilderness can seem like a daunting place. We should be encouraged that scripture, in fact, provides an alternate narrative for the wilderness. Without God, the wilderness is a terrifying place of chaos and anxiety, but with God, the wilderness is transformed into a place where our hearts are revealed, into a place where God pursues his people, and finally into a place fertile for spiritual growth. First, the wilderness reveals our hearts. The times of difficulty and challenge reveal our true character, and the wilderness is no different. With every stronghold stripped away, the wilderness becomes an opportunity to examine our hearts. When we examine our hearts, what will we find? Like the Israelites wandering in the wilderness, will we grumble and want to return to Egypt? Or will we praise God in the desert? Will we rebel against God, or will we depend on him? Will we starve? or eat manna? Will we build a golden calf, or will we follow the pillar of fire? Like David, the wilderness reveals a heart. Like David, will the wilderness reveal a heart that's confident in the Lord as our stronghold? Will it reveal a heart that is not afraid though war breaks out against it? Like Jesus' own temptation in the wilderness, will we be found with hearts that are full of the Holy Spirit, completely reliant on God? filled with the knowledge of his word, 
to combat the enemy's lies. Friends, we cannot neglect the opportunity that our wilderness moment gives us to reassess the condition of our hearts and their connection to God's presence. But there's even better news. God does not just wait for us to pursue him in the wilderness. God instead draws near, pursuing us in the wilderness. One of the best pictures of this is what we find in the book of Hosea. For those not familiar, Hosea was an Old Testament prophet who was instructed by God to take a promiscuous woman named Gomer as his wife. Hosea uses his own marriage to Gomer, her unfaithfulness, and their eventual restoration as a parable for God's relationship with Israel. Despite Israel's love for other gods, Hosea indicates that God intended to provide mercy to reestablish the covenant relationship with them. We read this in Hosea chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Therefore, I'm going to persuade her, lead her to the wilderness, and speak tenderly to her. There I will give her vineyards back to her and make the valley of Acre into a gateway of hope. There she will respond as she did in the days of her youth, as in the day she came out of the land of Egypt. Here we see beautiful relational language to describe how God pursues his people. The passage reframes the wilderness experience Israel endured after they escaped from captivity in Egypt with honeymoon imagery. The wilderness is where God woos, where he pursues us and wins our heart back, turning a valley of trouble into a gateway of hope. God's promise to us in our contemporary wilderness moment is that despite our tendency to repeatedly sin against him by building up our own strongholds, he draws near and offers a door of hope. His mercy triumphs over judgment. But God not only draws near in the wilderness, he also uses the wilderness for spiritual growth. Consider Moses' reminder to the Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 through 5 which says, remember the Lord your God led you to the, on the entire journey these 40 years in the wilderness so that he might humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commands. He humbled you by letting you go hungry. Then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your ancestors had not known so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Your clothing did not wear out and your feet did not swell these 40 years. Keep in mind that the Lord your God has been disciplining you just as a man disciplines his son. God uses the difficulties of the wilderness to test and to teach. He allows us to face difficulty because in it we encounter his love. His love is not one that leaves us as we are, but encourages us towards spiritual growth. In David's many psalms, including Psalm 27, we see a man whose faith was forged in the wilderness. Whether it was tending to his sheep in isolation as a shepherd or running from Saul's armies, there are countless passages where he faced the challenges of the wilderness. Instead of seeking to conquer the wilderness, David's heart was conquered by God. The wilderness taught David to live in utter dependence on God, trusting him to provide the safety and protection of a stronghold. So friends, where should we place our trust and hope in our contemporary wilderness moment. This brings us to our final heading for this morning, the Savior who shelters. Consider the final moments of God's rescue plan to lift Israel out of captivity in Egypt. 
After inflicting brutal plagues on the land, Pharaoh's heart remained hardened and he refused to let Israel go. Moses warns Pharaoh of one final plague, the death of every firstborn in the land of Egypt. On the night it was to occur, the Israelites were instructed by God to paint their doorposts with the blood of an unblemished lamb. This was to be a sign that the household had obeyed, but it was also a reminder that life had to be sacrificed in place of those inside the house. As a result of the blood, God would pass over that household and no harm would come to them. It was not the safety or security of their homes that protected them that night. It was the blood of a lamb sacrificed on their behalf. It was the blood of a covenant that transformed the physical space into a better stronghold. Church, we know that one has come who is a better stronghold. Hear the foreshadowing of Jesus coming here in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 through 12. Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout in triumph, daughter Jerusalem. Look, your Lord is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The bow of war will be removed, and he will proclaim peace to the nations. His dominion will extend from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of your covenant, I will release your prisoners from the waterless cistern. Return to a stronghold, you prisoners who have hope. Today I declare that I will restore double to you. Friends, Jesus is the better stronghold. As we anxiously scan the horizon of the wilderness, we see King Jesus coming. He does not come to conquer the wilderness with armies or weapons of war. He comes humbly proclaiming peace, hope, and shelter. Faith in the saving blood of Jesus Christ is the only stronghold that will last in eternity. It's the only way that we can calm our anxious hearts. Why? Well, as we learned, if the root of our anxiety is a lack of connection to the presence of God, a relationship in Jesus, a relationship with Jesus is what restores that connection. Think back to his death on the cross as he conquered sin and death once and for all. At the very moment he breathed his last, the curtain of the temple in Jerusalem was torn in two. His death literally signified the removal of the barrier between the presence of God and his people. We no longer now come to God's physical stronghold of the temple to dwell in his presence. Instead, we come directly to Jesus, the Son of God, who the book of Hebrews calls the radiance of God's glory and the exact impression, expression of his nature. Coming back to our passage, what is the one thing David asks of the Lord in verses 4 through 6? That he would dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. David knew that unhindered access to God's presence in worship is the best gift of all. It's a place of true delight and safety. It's a true stronghold. As we leave today, let us prayerfully consider what strongholds we are attempting to build apart from God. Where are we seeking temporary ease, comfort, and autonomy in our lives? If your stronghold has been destroyed and you find yourself in the wilderness, do not be discouraged. Whether it's for the first time or the hundredth time, God uses the wilderness to pursue us, to show us his love, and to shape us into people who are more like him.
And let it be our prayer that we would recognize Jesus as the true stronghold. And would we desire to dwell in his presence all the days of our life. Would you pray with me? Lord, we just admit that we live in such an anxious moment in history. God, we see it every day. We confess that in our fear and our pride, we have and will continue to build many strongholds apart from you. We thank you that you have the power to break through our strongholds. We thank you that they cannot last. Father, there are many competing voices in the wilderness, but we thank you that yours stands out amidst the chaos. Thank you for pursuing us, loving us, and for not leaving us as we are. And most importantly, we thank you for your son Jesus, for his sacrifice on the cross and the avenue it now offers to dwell in your presence. Lord, would we find peace, rest, and worship in your presence all the days of our life. Filled by your presence then, God, would you lead us by your spirit back out into the wilderness just as you go into the wilderness? Would you empower us to reach prisoners who are held in captivity by the secular strongholds of our world? Would you make your voice known to those who are wandering in the wilderness? Would our period in history not be remembered as an anxious moment, but as one of renewal and hope where many were called into the salvation of your stronghold? And finally, Lord, as we leave, we will pray as David did in Psalm 27, verses 7 through 14. Lord, hear our voice when we call. Be gracious to us and answer us. Our heart says this about you. Seek his face. Lord, we will seek your face. Do not hide your face from us. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been our helper. Do not leave us or abandon us, God of our salvation. Even if our father and mother abandon us, the Lord cares for us. Because our adversaries, because of our adversaries, show us your way, Lord, and lead us on a level path. Do not give us over to the will of our foes, for false witnesses rise up against us, breathing violence. We are certain that we will see the Lord's goodness in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let our hearts be courageous. Wait for the Lord. Amen. Church, as we move into this time of reflection um, and worship, as we, as we do each week, we'd like to open the Lord's table for those who have placed their faith and hope in Jesus. We partake in the Lord's table uh, as a time of remembrance for the sacrifice of Je that Jesus made on the cross. We take the element of the bread symbolizing the body of Christ given for us, and we take the element of the cup and the juice symbolizing God's or Christ's blood shed for us. As you do so, consider the security offered to you by faith in Jesus. Use this moment to confess to God the other places you have placed your security. If you're wandering in the wilderness, use this moment to enter back through the wide open gates of his stronghold. And finally, if you find yourself already there, sit in awe for the joy, uh, sit in awe and shout for joy that we get to dwell in the glory of God's presence. Let us go to him now in remembrance and in worship.